Hi everyone, welcome to Book Insights. I'm your host, Tom Butler-Bowden. What we do is in-depth exploration of the best non-fiction books. Each title is selected to improve your work or your life or just make you think. I'll give a brief intro for some context and then we'll jump into the 30-minute book insight, which is narrated by a professional actor. So today we're looking at Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. This book was the culmination of Kahneman's stellar career as a research psychologist. It summarizes decades of his experiments with colleague Amos Versky on judgment and decision-making, specifically the systematic errors or biases which humans are extremely prone to. Our intuition is often right, but there are plenty of other times when it's wrong, and we're often way too confident about our judgments than we have a right to be. The phrase Kahneman uses is that humans are machines for jumping to conclusions. Not only can we be blind to the obvious, we can be blind to our blindness. And that's true even for so-called experts. When Kahneman was working as a psychologist for the Israeli army, one of his tasks was to judge the caliber of potential officers. Based on their observations, Kahneman and his colleague were quite confident. But when the soldiers actually went to officer school, all their judgments proved to be totally wrong. Declarations of high confidence, Kamen says, mainly tell you that an individual has constructed a coherent story in his or her mind, not necessarily that the story is true. You see this demand for illusory certainty all the time in the business world. CEOs are presumed to have a huge effect on company performance because we all want to believe that a single person has some magic formula for success. For instance, there's now little or no difference between the great examples of businesses profiled in the book In Search of Excellence and those considered bad or mediocre at the time. Books like this just preserve an illusion of understanding and have more to do with our human need for narrative, our love for stories of triumph or failure, than they have to do with any facts. That thinking fast and slow has sold millions of copies is quite a feat for a dense book covering psychology experiments. But once you get into it, it's pretty intriguing and may change how you come to decisions. And if you like it, you should also check out the book insight we did on Being Wrong, Adventures in the Margins of Error by Katherine Schultz. It's a similar theme, just done a different way. Finally, do subscribe to the Book Insights podcast. You never miss a new weekly episode. And if you'd like unlimited access uh, to our library of over 100 book insights, just go to memo.com forward slash insights. Okay, let's dive into Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. There's a famous study known as the Invisible Gorilla Experiment. Subjects are asked to watch a video of two groups passing basketballs. One group is dressed in white and the other in black. The objective for the subjects is to count how many times the players in white pass the ball. Meanwhile, a man in a gorilla suit walks across the scene. Amazingly, 50% of subjects failed to notice the gorilla. According to Daniel Kahneman, there are two fundamentally different modes of thought, System 1 and System 2. These modes work in tandem to manage the cognitive load of everyday life. Here's Kahneman on Inc.com. System 1 is essentially what comes up automatically in your memory. So, you know, when I say 2 plus 2, Something comes into your head when I say your mother, an emotion comes. Uh, so all these things that are automatic, that's what I call system one. And you have no control of it because it's automatic and involuntary. System two 
the slower thinking is distinguished really not so much by the, by the fact that it's slow, although it's pretty slow, but by the fact that it's effortful and deliberate. So what you can do deliberately, you do in system two. And you can do, you can, well, control yourself, control your thoughts, perform complicated computations. Those things are activities of system two. We make snap judgments and deliberate decisions every day. What are we missing between moments? Are there gorillas hiding in plain sight at all times? Kahneman explores these questions in his best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's his exploration into thought, judgment, and experience. Kahneman won a Nobel Prize in economics for his research on prospect theory. According to prospect theory, decisions are made based on subjective potential value of losses and gains instead of objective data. In this book Insight, we'll look into four of Kahneman's main ideas. First, the two systems concept of how the brain works. Second, heuristics and biases, which are cognitive distortions that result in errors of judgment. Third, decisions, why and how do we make them? a look at the foundations of behavioral economics. And finally, what Kahneman calls the two selves, or how our mind works to recollect and process experience. In thinking slow, the processes of System 2 are more manual than those of System 1. They only kick into operation when needed. The rest of the time, System 1 does the heavy lifting of keeping us alive, it maintains our sense of identity, or the body we refer to as I. System 1 is the default part of our brain that developed over millions of years. We use it much more often than slow, deliberative System 2 thinking, which can include anything from filling out a tax form, to parking in a narrow space, to testing an argument. The two systems work together. When System 1 cannot solve a problem immediately, it calls on System 2, with its detailed and deliberate processing, to chew it over and come up with an answer. System 1 allows us to drive along a highway without thinking about driving. System 2 kicks in when we need to suddenly think where we are going. System 1 allows us to read a story to our daughter without actually taking it in. System 2 comes to life when she asks a question. System 2 tires easily, in a process known as ego depletion. As a result, it often just accepts the judgment that System 1 offers. It's often right to take this course because, for the most part, System 1 is pretty good at what it does. It was designed for our body's survival. It's very sensitive to subtle changes of environment and signs of danger. We do, however, pay a price for System 1's speed and alertness. It loves to simplify and make assumptions, presuming that what you see is all there is. It's bad at the deliberative and statistical thinking required for good decisions. System 1 will recklessly jump to conclusions and play host to irrational biases. Here's Kahneman on Inc.com again. So if your impulses turn out to be wrong, you know, if you're not a chess player, but you're sort of living in a world where first impulses are not necessarily wrong. By the way, not all mistakes are avoidable, but there are some mistakes that if you brought System 2 to bear, if you slowed yourself down, you could avoid the System 1 brain makes hasty judgments based on what it sees and feels. As a result, we assume these judgments are correct, but we hugely underestimate the role of chance and randomness in our lives. Kahneman is well known for his analysis of fund manager performance over the long term. 
He proved conclusively that investors would do just as well making their own financial decisions instead of giving their money to experts to manage. This did not go over well with mutual and hedge fund managers. There's a powerful illusion that sustains managers in their belief that their good results are the result of skill. The problem is they get bonuses when their fund goes up in value, even when the rise is due to random market factors. Conversely, when the market drops, there may be no bonus, but the fund manager's pay is not docked. This may explain the rise of retention bonuses as opposed to performance bonuses. Regardless, we maintain the myth that playing the market is a matter of skill over judgment and study. Today, we discuss the history of Daniel Kahneman as a Nobel Prize-winning psychologist and his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. We went into Kahneman's notion that we have two modes of thought, System 1 and System 2. System 1 is quick, associative, impulse thinking. System 2 is slow, deliberate, and purposeful thinking. We also discussed our natural propensity to trust apparent skill over data. We rely on System 1 far too often when we need to use the System 2 mode of thought to make correct judgments. Next time, we'll learn all about the errors in judgment that result from heuristics and biases. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodeapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. I think most of us uh, feel that we have reasons for what we're doing, but in fact, uh, we do what we're doing very largely because of reasons that we're not necessarily completely aware of. And then when we're asked, why do you do this? We have reasons. But the reasons are not necessarily the causes of our actions. That's Daniel Kahneman, Nobel Prize-winning psychologist. His decades of studies into decision-making under uncertainty led him to write his best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow. In this part, we'll discuss the role heuristics and biases play in our systems of thought. A heuristic is defined as a simple rule that people use to help them make decisions. We have to make lots of decisions every day, so the brain worked out ways of making many of them easy or automatic. This serves us most of the time, but not all of the time. An important thinking bias is the anchoring effect. When making decisions, people tend to give too much value to some initial piece of information given to them. For instance, if you're offered $5 for a sandwich, you're likely to assume the standard price of the item is around $5, even if the sandwich is actually only worth $2. It's the same concept behind store advertisements that indicate restrictions on quantity, such as limit 12 per customer. Often limits like these actually cause people to buy more items than they normally would. The availability heuristic is a mental shortcut where we estimate the size of a category or frequency of an event based on how quickly it comes to the mind. For example, watching a film about nuclear disaster makes us more likely to believe that nuclear war is imminent. Witnessing a house on fire will make us believe that house fires are more common than they really are. Kahneman discusses the halo effect. If we like a politician's policies, we're likely to think he's good-looking, too. If we drive one company's car and like it, we tend to presume that all their products will be great. The halo effect sometimes dramatically increases the weight of first impressions, and often subsequent impressions don't matter at all. 
When grading exam papers, Kahneman himself admits that his rating of the first essay in a student's exam booklet had a big influence on how he saw the other essays. He shifted to reading the class's essays by order of topic, not by student, and his ratings were much more accurate. Lastly, we have hindsight bias. When you adopt a new view of the world, you tend to lose much of your ability to recall what you used to believe. This causes you to underestimate the extent to which you were surprised by past events. Have you ever taken a string of events and weaved them together in your mind so that you believed they were always going to happen that way? We are natural story generators. We don't rest until we've created a narrative that makes sense of events, even if that narrative is wrong. Here's Kahneman speaking with Big Think. Uh, people think they will succeed. They open a restaurant because they think they will succeed. But in fact, less than a third of small businesses uh, survive for five years. So clearly overconfidence is rife. And overconfidence and loss aversion seem to be acting in opposite directions. Kahneman talks about the pros and cons of overconfidence, which he considers perhaps the worst thinking bias. Declarations of high confidence tell us that an individual has constructed a coherent story in his or her mind, not necessarily that the story is true. The people who have the greatest influence on the lives of others are likely to be optimistic and overconfident. They take more risks than they realize. Overconfidence can have benefits. Kahneman admits that the optimistic risk-taking of entrepreneurs contributes to the economic dynamism of society, even if at an individual level, most individual risk-takers end up disappointed. Overconfidence, despite tripping a lot of us up at the individual level, is the engine of capitalism. When we have to make decisions under certainty, we weigh potential losses much higher than we weigh potential gains. Avoiding regrets is more important to us than perceiving opportunities. Here's Kahneman speaking with The Guardian. Whenever people remodel a kitchen and, and they have an idea of how much they're willing to pay and they have an idea of how much it will cost, they may also know that for most people it costs on average about twice as much as they originally planned. But you don't feel that this applies to yourself. So you have that knowledge which somehow is disembodied and is part of, you know, it, it's available to you, you know it, but you don't apply it. And that is that failure to apply it is characteristic of system one. It doesn't use statistics very well, and it doesn't apply statistics to specific cases. A great deal of prejudice is, you know, is built in, and, and to some extent is uncontrollable. I mean, it's something that we have to, that we have to accept as a fact of life. Why are we like this? Kahneman's answer is that we evolve for survival, so threats and bad news loom very large in our minds. When faced with the option of getting away from a pride of lions or staying in their area to pick some ripe berries, we'll choose escape every time. In investing, most people are more fearful of losing their money than they are excited by gaining more, so they tend to be over-conservative. And because in our minds, losses evoke stronger negative feelings than costs do, the cost of a losing lottery ticket is more acceptable than losing a larger gamble. Kahneman is well known for the idea of mental accounts, which has been important in the rise of behavioral economics. The basic idea is that each of us has a unique way of totting up value in our heads, and this way is very subjective and biased. This way diverts considerably from the standard model in economics, which says that people make calculations that are purely rational. An example of mental accounts is the sunk cost fallacy. 
The sunk cost fallacy says that we invest additional resources in a losing investment even when better investments are available. This is not a positive attribute. So we're not rational actors, as orthodox economics believes. In fact, we frequently make decisions that go against our best interests. Part of the reason is that our system two minds are normally pretty lazy. Most of us passively accept options and decisions as they are framed to us. This means that our preferences are frame-bound and not reality-bound. For example, if we get a set of options, we probably can't be bothered to think them through. If there's a default option, we'll likely go with that. Behavioral economists leapt on this fact and developed nudge theory, which involves influencing people to make choices that are in their best interest. This kind of thinking is used with organ donation and driver's licenses around the world. Drivers must specifically opt out, or else they give assent for their organs to be donated in the event of their death. Orthodox economics says we're rational self-maximizers. Behavioral economics, which Kahneman and Tversky gave birth to, say this model is not only wrong, it leads people to make decisions that are in their worst long-term interest. Today, we discussed Daniel Kahneman's concepts of heuristics and biases. A heuristic is a simple rule people use to make decisions, unconsciously or otherwise. The availability heuristic says we make estimations and claims based on how recently we've encountered something. With the halo effect, a good first impression positively tinges all subsequent interactions. There's the hindsight bias, which is the auto-correcting of previous mindsets after a new one is adapted. And prospect theory is the idea that we are exceedingly more loss-averse than we are willing to take risks on gains. All these heuristics and biases tend to carry more water for us because our system two thought is naturally more lazy. After all, it requires more effort and brain power. Next time, we'll conclude our discussion on Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow by looking into the foundation of decisions. We'll also go into the two selves or the ways our minds process experience. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodeapp.com insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. Nobel Prize winning psychologist Daniel Kahneman wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow. In it, he breaks down the two modes of thinking, System 1 and System 2. The first is automatic thinking, like driving a car while your mind wanders. The second is deliberate active thought, like planning a trip. Here's Kahneman speaking to The Guardian. All of us are familiar with two ways ideas come to mind. So if I say two plus two, something came to your mind. If I say 17 times 24, then nothing came to your mind and you probably would have to produce it. Uh, You'd have to generate it in a slow and effortful process. So some thoughts are like two plus two, and this is in some cases how a physician would make a quick diagnosis. All of that is what I call fast thinking or system one thinking. The 17 times 24 is one of many examples in which we reason slowly and effortfully, and that is slow thinking or system two thinking, and also of monitoring and control, because self-control is another effortful operation. 
In the final section of the book, Kahneman takes us from two systems to two selves. In psychology, effective forecasting is the prediction of an individual's personal state in their future. The problem is we either don't know or won't admit what brings us happiness. Kahneman even coined a term, miswanting. It describes decisions that are based on what we think will make us happy, but which, in fact, will not over the long term. Kahneman and his colleague David Schotty demonstrated in a study that climate has zero effect on happiness. Californians like their climate, and Midwesterners don't like theirs. But these views don't affect their overall sense of well-being. Someone who moves from Michigan to California will seem happier for their first few years as they remind themselves of the contrast between the weather here and what it was like before. However, such things don't affect happiness over the long term. Humans are designed to zoom in on two or three variables at any one time. We're not good at weighing up all the truly important factors in our lives and often fall prey to the focusing illusion. The focusing illusion says nothing in life is as important as what we're thinking about at any given moment. One of Kahneman's insights is that the remembering self is more powerful than the experiencing self. This shapes our decisions. It could be said that with vacations, we pay for the memories more than the actual experience. When we go to a movie, the main thing we tend to remember is the ending. We easily forget the boring bits at the start or in the middle. We need to go out of our way to correct the bias of the remembering self. It tends to distort future decisions. General happiness surveys ask people about their well-being with questions like, all things considered, how happy do you consider yourself these days? What people tend to do is remember the last significant happy event they had. A more accurate way of measuring well-being is to get people to record their pleasant or unpleasant feelings minute by minute, hour by hour. Ask them at several points in the day, how are you feeling right now? Here's Kahneman speaking to Big Think. The major tendency is to f people tend to frame things very narrowly. They take a narrow view of decision making. They look at the problem at hand and they deal with it as if it were the only problem. Very frequently, it's a better idea to look at problems as they will recur throughout your life. And then you look at the policy that you ought to adopt for a class of problems. Difficult to do would be a better thing. If the moment we're living in leaves much less of an impression on the brain than beginnings, endings, and big events, this takes us into the realm of philosophy rather than psychology. It asks us whether we live for the quality of the present or are we looking backwards or forwards to key events. However we look at it, we're still left with the time between. Kahneman writes, the mind is good with stories, but it does not appear to be well-designed for processing time. Our minds are inherently lazy. We rely on our quick, instinctive System 1 minds in order to minimize thinking effort. One of the implications of this is that if you want to influence anyone, you must make the message as easy as possible to accept or digest. He mentions how, when subjects were asked to rate the prospects of two Turkish companies, Artan and Tahut, they gave more weight to the reports of the easily pronounced Artan. A complicated name reminds people of effort and they steer clear, 
whereas a simple name evokes good feelings simply because it's easy to say. Not only that, but people like words or images that are presented to them frequently. In cognitive terms, familiarity doesn't breed contempt, but makes us feel more comfortable in our world. This is why constant advertising tends to work. A company or its product becomes part of our mental landscape, and for that reason alone, we trust it. In this book, Insight, we learned the remembering self is more powerful than the experiencing self. We tend to recall more strongly than we actually feel or think during an experience. Kahneman encourages us to think beyond the glow of recollection and analyze past events as the facts present themselves. Thinking fast and slow is Daniel Kahneman's attempt to distill the many years of collaborative research with Amos Tversky into one clear, concise record. Kahneman remembers, our research was a conversation in which we invented questions and jointly examined our intuitive answers. Their motivation wasn't to expose human error for the fun of it, but to show how awareness of error can lead us to make better decisions. Here's Eric Schurenberg of Inc.com speaking to Kahneman. Isn't that good? Haven't we read that your gut is right 90% of the time? No, it's not right 90% of the time. The chess player's gut, if the chess player is a master, is right 90% of the time. Those are situations that allow for skill. But when we're dealing with situations, whether to invest in this or that, or whether to, uh, we're not always. Uh, they are the first impulses, not necessarily right the first time. Cognitive illusions and mistakes don't denigrate human intelligence any more than the attention to diseases in medical texts denies good health. Most of us are healthy most of the time, and most of our judgments and actions are appropriate most of the time. It's often said that we learn from our mistakes. That isn't exactly correct. We only advance when we understand where our thinking went wrong that led to the mistakes. Kahneman's great service has been to free decision-making from the instinctual darkness inside each of our minds. We can now take our decisions, thoughts, and experience closer to being a science. Thank you for listening to Book Insights. Check out the rest of our content at memodap.com. Please keep in mind that the information provided in or through our Book Insights episodes is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for advice given by qualified professionals and should not be relied upon to disregard or delay seeking professional advice.